All right, if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do, I hope you'll make your way over to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that's where we're heading. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll make my way there as well. Tell you what, before we jump into this, let me just pray for us, all right? I'd like to do that. Let me pray. Father, again, we just thank you for this morning that you've given, that you do give life and breath in all things. And Lord, I thank you for the faith family here at Calvary that you've brought together literally from all over the world. Lord, people with so many diverse backgrounds and, and from so many places. And Lord, that we might come together as brothers and sisters here together. And, I, and I'm just so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that this morning as we look at your word, Lord, I just trust the promise of Scripture that says your word will never return void. It always accomplishes exactly what you've set forth for it to accomplish. And I pray that you do that this morning, Lord. I trust that you have something for your people. So, Father, I pray that you'd feed your sheep. Lord, may I not muddy the waters or trample the grass. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, again, I hope you'll make your way. I hope you're there in 1 Corinthians. Last week, we began to take a look at this text and just simply introduce it. We looked at the first nine verses, uh, roughly, and also the planting of this church. Of course, this letter written to the church at Corinth. Uh, it's a church that was planted by Paul. He knew them very well. He stayed very much in touch with them. And so he's, he's had some correspondence with them. He's heard from them, people that had visited the church, and he's heard of some of these issues and problems. And we're going to start to jump into some of that today. Now, last week in the introduction, it was more so just thanksgiving, a word of thanks. He didn't jump in right off the bat and begin to speak of the issues in the church. Rather, he, he talked about how thankful he was for them. And, and how he was so confident in who they were because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace he had poured out to this church. So he's confident in that, and he's thankful for that. Even though this church is struggling with some hardships, they've got some difficulties, and we're going to see some of those here in just a moment. What I'd like to do, uh, we're going to look, Lord willing, at verses 10 through 17. And so I'd just like to read the text for us. And then I'll pray, and then we'll begin to unpack this a little at a time, okay? So I'm going to pick up in verse 10 of chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you, now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I baptized, excuse me, and now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, Beyond that, I, I don't know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Father, again, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would do the work today. 
Lord, do what only you can do. Give eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin to look into this text, we see Paul here in verse 10. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren. I exhort you. I, I, I'm charging you. I'm, I'm calling you to be about something, to make a shift. The word can also be translated, I, I beg you. I'm pleading with you. Make this shift. Things are not as they should be. It says, Brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. That you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, Paul here in this verse, along with giving us this exhortation, how he wants them to change, how he'd like to see certain things take place, he's also clarifying what one of the issues happens to be. And, and there are many in this church, as we're going to see in the weeks and months ahead. But one of the primary issues, and the first one that he tackles here, is divisiveness. There are divisions. There's splits within this church. Otherwise, he wouldn't say that there be no divisions among you, right? So because he's saying that, we know there, there's some divisiveness. There's disunity. There's disaccord here within the church at Corinth. Now, I want to look at this in two ways. First, I want to look at the problem, the division, the divisiveness. We'll look at that first, and then we'll come back and look at really what Paul is hoping for this church, his ambition for this church, which is, uh, again, what, what we see here is he's exhorting them to be united. Okay, So we'll look at that in just a moment. But first, let's, let's dig in a little bit on the, the problem itself. Okay, So we know there's divisions. We know that there's a split, if you will, within this church. But what else? Look at verse 11. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. Now remember, he, he knows many people within the church. He's probably in Ephesus at the time of writing this. And so some folks have gone back and forth, maybe on business, just like many of you probably travel for business. And so some folks from Chloe's, uh, Chloe's household have gone to Corinth. They come back to Paul and they say, Hey, Paul, things aren't going the way they should. There's some divisiveness. There's some quarrels, he says. He says that they, there are quarrels among you. Now, quarrels, what does that mean? That's not a word we use a lot anymore, at least not a word that I use very often. It, it's a contentiousness. There's bickering. That they, they just love to argue with one another. That, that's a characteristic that this church has begun to take on. That they're just content arguing. That, that's what's taking place here in this church. Now, if, if these were the only two verses that we have regarding this problem, we're left kind of at 30,000 feet, right? Because we can argue about anything, right? I mean, if, if you've been a part of the church for long, and I just mean church globally, you, you know that we as a church, sometimes we argue about anything and everything. But sometimes maybe it's it, is this a valid argument? It, is there an issue over theological or doctrinal, doctrinal uh, clarity? Is that what they're arguing about, bickering about? Is it an issue of orthodoxy? Is it that the worship team at Corinth suddenly wants to go to an electric guitar instead of acoustic? And some people are saying, no, you can't do that. We only do acoustic here. Is that what's going on? Like, what, what kind of argument or quarrels are taking place? Where on that spectrum is it falling? Well, well thankfully, that's 
not all we have. Paul clarifies, okay? He's going to give us more information here. Look with me here at verse 12. He says, now I mean this. Thank you, Paul. I mean this. This is where I'm getting at. Now I mean this. That each of you is saying, I am of Paul. And I am of Apollos. I of Cephas. I of Christ. So he gives us some clarity into the issue here. Turns out it's, it's not an issue of doctrine or theology. It's not a gospel issue. We know that because, well, each of these men preach the same gospel, right? Paul, Apollos, Christ even. It's the same gospel being presented. So this is not a theological issue in Corinth. That, that's, that's not what people are being divisive over. Rather, it's personalities. It's preferences. What, what's happening here in Corinth is evidently individuals within the church are attaching themselves to their favorite leader, to their favorite personality within the church, in hopes that if this person has a little more esteem, okay, Paul, for example, he, he helped found the church. Well, I'm of Paul. You attach yourself to Paul, well, maybe you get a little more clout, right? You're, you're seen in a little higher light, if you will. That's what people are doing. And it's probably not just these four names that are being used. If we were to look over, it's only one page in my Bible, but if you go to chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no, excuse me, so that, uh, no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. They're pitting leader against leader, and evidently the leaders don't even know this, right? Paul's finding out about this from Chloe's household. But they're pitting one against the other, saying, well, I'm of this guy. I'm of this guy. In a sense, they're name-dropping. That's a term we use, at least in in the U.S. It would be kind of like this. I had the opportunity, as as I was transitioning at Chapel Grove to come here and be a part of the church here at Calvary, had about two and a half months in that transition of helping the church get to a good place, Chapel Grove, get to a good place in transition where I thought it would be a healthy time for them to be without a pastor and looking for a new pastor and so I helped with getting the pastoral search going and those kind of things, and even saw a few resumes. Not that I had any say in any of that, but just got to see some. And, and I, was, I was surprised at the times that I saw, either in a cover letter or in a resume itself, people mentioning why I studied under so-and-so, or I was on staff with this guy, or this guy. What, what was the purpose in that? Why why are you doing that? Simply that that you might be esteemed a little more highly, connected with this guy's ministry, just just to to be seen in a better light? Is that that what's happening? That's kind of the same feel a little bit here. Or what about maybe a little more ground level? Because that's pretty specific, right? Let's just say, say this. We're here at Calvary. The new pastor arrives. He, He begins to to preach and and some folks say, man, that, that guy, 
he talks a little funny. <laughs> he, uh, he draws out those vowel sounds a lot longer than people probably should. You know, I, but I kind of like it. And in fact, I, I think that everyone that preaches should, should elongate their vowels. And so, you know what? I'm, I'm of Seth, right? And then some other folks say, well, that's probably not how it should be. And uh, I, so, so, no, I'm, I'm of Thomas because he doesn't elongate his vowels like that. And, and maybe some other folks say, well, no, well, I'm, I'm of Gary. And, and you see how easily that split begins to take place? And, and none of that is around the gospel. All of those moments of disunity, all that divisiveness is coming simply out of preference and personalities. See how easy that can happen? Now, let me, let me just say this. I, I say that in part jokingly, of course, I know of no divisiveness among us, okay? I've not heard any inclination of any of this among our leaders or anything like that. But I do simply want to point this out. I want to, in a sense, put a flag up here, ring a bell. Because if, if this could happen in Corinth, a church that had apostolic oversight for years, that apostolic input and teaching year after year, if, if they fell victim to this, if, if they fell into this falling behind particular leaders or personalities, if they fell victim to this, I'm not naive enough to think that, that we couldn't. And so I want us to be really careful here. I'm not saying we're there, but, but I'm waving a flag saying, hey, let's not go there, okay? Let, let's, let's be careful here. Let's be mindful. The Lord put this before us, I believe, maybe to keep us from going down this path. Because we could, easily. Any church could. So what, what does Paul say? He, he goes on to confront this. Look at verse 13. He says, has Christ been divided? Has he been apportioned out? Does one group get this portion of Christ and another get this and this and this? Certainly not. He goes on to say, now notice what Paul does here. I love, I love this about Paul. Out of the group, he names out four names. Paul, Apollos... Uh, Peter, Christ. But, but who's the group that he uses to make an example of? He's not saying, hey, the group following Paul's doing better here. They're a little less in error. No, he, he goes there first. He says, Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Why is he doing that? What's he doing? Paul here is, is taking their allegiance the allegiance that they have towards these particular leaders, and he's pushing it further than where they are with it. But he's pushing it to the logical end, right? Why, why would you have an allegiance towards these leaders? Who do you have an allegiance towards? Well, it's towards Christ. Because he died on our behalf to make atonement for our sin, that we could be presented as blameless and clean before a holy God. Whose name are we baptized in? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's where our allegiance lies. And so Paul's pointing this out in a sense to, to hopefully just open their eyes. Saying, how, how absurd, church, is this that your allegiance would be towards me? How absurd that it would be towards Peter or Apollos? Christ died for you. It's to Him. He's the one 
to whom you owe your allegiance. That's what he's pointing out. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Paul knows. Now, I think this is interesting. Paul understands that here, evidently in the church in Corinth, baptism, as, as ministers of the gospel interact with the church, he knows that as people grow and flourish under maybe certain leaders' ministry, there's, there's a possibility that they might be more attached to those individuals, to those pastors, leaders. And I think that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm so grateful for the pastor that led me to Christ. I'm so thankful for his faithful proclamation of the gospel and his faithful ministry. Thank God for that. Pastors, leaders, they're gifts to the church. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4. So we ought to respect and love our leaders. It's okay to have a particular affection towards one, maybe that you grew under their ministry. But we should never elevate those individuals, those personalities, to a place that only Christ should be. We should never have such an affection that is only reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy. Do we, do we see the distinction here, church? Now, I love Paul's humanity here. This is just a side note. I don't know that it's a big deal here, but it's, it's interesting to me. I, I enjoy it. I'm thankful for it because Paul says... Now, I did baptize the household of Stephanus. So I baptized these. I baptized Stephanus, his household. Now, I can't remember the rest. All right? Paul, Paul's a person. He's a human, right? He, he might in some ways feel like a super apostle, but he, he's human just like us. And he's saying, I've had a lot of things happen, and I can't remember if I baptized anybody else. Right? That, that's kind of where he is. But he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He had a purpose. His purpose was to shine the light on the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the cross. That, that's why he was there. The gospel he proclaimed. It was all to point people to Jesus. And church, that should be the ambition of every leader to just simply point people to Jesus. To act as a, if you will, a John the Baptist type that just points less of me, more of him. Now, this is the problem, right, here in Corinth. The divisiveness, the splits over personalities and following certain people, having affections that are misplaced. But what about the ambition Paul has for this church? What about his desire for them? Now I exhort you. Look with me again back in verse, verse 10. It says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment, that you all agree, be of the same mind, same judgment, now, is Paul simply desiring that each and every church be full of people that are just yes men and women? They just agree with anything and everything? That's not what he's saying. Is he saying that the church, should every person should just look the same? 
diversity goes out the window, that, that we're all just copies of one another. No, that, that's not what he means. We know that because of what he says later in the letter. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says there's varieties of gifts. There's varieties of ministries. There's varieties of effects. There are many members within the body. We, we recognize that. We know that. We see that. So, so what does Paul mean here? He's pointing them towards, he's commending this church towards a unity, towards being in harmony with one another. It, it's kind of like this. If, if you hang around at all after the service, maybe more than three minutes, you might not be out the door by the time you hear it. Our kids love to play the instruments up here, right? And, and so they storm the stage and, you know, three or four get on the drums and a couple on the piano and the guitarists, they run with their instruments and that's probably wise. And so, and, and it can sound a little, you don't have to be musical to know it. It's a little rough, right? You get four kiddos beating on the drums and a couple on the piano. And Now, what's the solution to that? Is it move everybody to the drums? No. Is it move everybody to the piano? No, that doesn't work. The, what would bring it together is if they're all on the same beat. It, if they've got the same tune. If they're on the same song here, right? The same wavelength. Then it begins to sound really pleasant. That's kind of what Paul's exhorting this church towards. That they would be united in Christ. See, that this one-mindedness, this same mind, same judgment, this is something we see all throughout the New Testament that's a characteristic of a, a healthy, God-honoring, Spirit-filled church. You go back to the book of Acts. And those early disciples, they're there in the, the upper room, they're praying, and what does it say? They're of the same mind. Praying together. You go to chapter 2. The Holy Spirit's poured out. People come to faith. The church there in Jerusalem is planted and established. And what are they doing? They're about the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And they're going from house to house. And they're in the temple daily in the same mind, it says. Thousands of people. There's a single-mindedness. How does that happen? I think Paul says it really well when he writes to the Philippian church. He says in his letter to the Philippians, this is Philippians chapter 2, he says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. See, church, the, the song that we're trying to all play together, the tune that we unite around, is the Lord Jesus Christ. That our, our minds are renewed and transformed, that we take on the attitude of the Lord Jesus. And as long as we're doing that, if He is, as Paul's going to say later in this letter, Christ is the head. And the body goes where the head leads. That's how we have unity. That's how you have harmony within a church. It's not trying to make everybody look the same. It's getting in tune with the head and the body follows what the head is doing. So how does that look on a practical level? 
about a year ago, I was, of course, at Chapel Grove. And the church there had a substantial amount of debt. And God did a miraculous work in providing a large sum of money that I believe was for the paying off of the debt. And he did it in such a way that it wasn't as though one person could simply say, well, I gave this for this. No, the Lord just literally gave it to the church. And I I remember there was, uh, many of us, my conviction was very much pay this off. But in doing so, it was going to bring us down, our finances as a church, down below a certain threshold. I I kind of like to have about a three-month reserve. That's kind of how we we operated. And it was going to take us below that to pay this debt off. And so there were some that said, you know, that maybe we shouldn't do that. That takes us a little lower than we want to go, and maybe we just shouldn't. And so anytime you talk about finances, there's potential for conflict, right? We know that. Maybe more than anything else, you, you start talking about money, there's a real potential for divisiveness and splits. And, and so we began to talk about this. We had several financial meetings. We spent designated time in prayer and fasting. I wrote a letter to the church. Uh, sharing my conviction and also just sharing a conviction that wherever you stood on the issue, whatever your conviction might be, we, we had an obligation as believers to live and behave a certain way as we dealt with this. And so the time came and, and we began to, well, we, we came to the business meeting where that was going to be voted on. It came up and, and so one individual stood up and presented it and, um, you know, in favor Another stood up who was actually the chair of the deacons, which would be our president, is the equivalent here. And uh, he was opposed to it. And then the former chair stood up and he was in favor of it. And so you can see, like, man, there's a lot of potential for some divisiveness here. This could go really poorly. Well, the vote happened, and it was about 75% for to pay off the debt of the church, paid it off, about 25% uh, in opposition to that. But, but here's what I want to point out. Here's why I'm bringing this up. What, what happened to the 25% there? Did, did they get viewed as less spiritual because of this? No. Not at all. Did they go out and begin to speak poorly of the 75% that voted on? No, they didn't. I, as a pastor, I was so, if I can say this, I was so proud, I guess, if I can say that of how the church operated in the midst of this because the, the next day and the next week, I remember the, the chair of the deacons coming to me who, who was in opposition and essentially this was the attitude of, you know, this was different from my conviction. But I, I trust the spirit within the church and I submit and I rejoice in this. It wasn't quite how I saw it, but I trust the Lord in it. And, and there was this Unity. Even though there was a difference in opinion and conviction, the church operated in a glorious way and God has rewarded the church, I believe, in, in the way in which it operated. Matt, that's just one example, church. So here's how I want to I close, just with a couple of questions. One, where's our allegiance? Is our allegiance to Christ? Or is it to some man or personality? It's okay to quote people, but when we quote Scripture or quote whatever it may be, maybe we want to give advice or this, that, and the other, 
are we always quoting one person that, that's not Scripture? Maybe we need to examine our hearts on that and say, hey, maybe I'm putting a little too much weight on this individual. What, 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 what? How does that stack up with Scripture? Maybe your attitude has not been that of the Lord Jesus that doesn't... Maybe you're not looking out for others' interests above your own. And maybe this morning you just need to repent of that. You need to ask the Lord to examine your heart. Father, am I, am I helping in unity or am I destroying unity? Here, let me go here. I didn't have this in my notes, but I want to just go to, we'll close here. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Picking up in verse 2. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I think that's a very helpful text. Because, you know, as, as people, as church, as a church, sometimes we can't, we can't make the church united in and of ourselves, right? Like, I, I can't do that. However, I, I, I think unity is a gift from God, from the Spirit, something He pours out. But look what He says in verse 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. We might not be able to in and of ourselves bring about unity, but we sure can mess it up. And he's calling them here to preserve that unity. So there's a way in which we operate in the mind of Christ that preserves the unity of the Spirit. This gift from God, unity within a church family. And remember, that's such a characteristic of the church that is Spirit-filled, that's healthy. That's my desire for us. That's my ambition for us here at Calvary. That we be a church that, as diverse as we are, are totally united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that we walk faithfully. So I'm going to pray. And as I do, I, I just hope that you'll be obedient to whatever God's asking you to do this morning. I'll be available. I know there's going to be some other folks available to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you. If there's something we can pray for, you just be obedient. Let me pray for us. Father, again, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your church. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, one, that you would guard us from this same error that the church at Corinth struggled with, that, that promoted allegiance and affiliation with certain individuals over the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I, I pray that you might guard us from that. Lord, that we might be a people that are just so fixed on you, so fixed on the God-man, Jesus Christ, and walking in accordance to His will, His way, that, that our attitudes would be that of the Lord Jesus, that we, we hold others in higher esteem than ourselves, that we look out for their interest over our own. Father, that we labor to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, may that be us here. Father, do that work. That's in Jesus' name. Amen.